Last night, my wife and I drove down to um, Falcon, Colorado, which um, I told you uh, last week's population of 300, but Colbert uh, corrected me, it's 7,000, so it's a major <laughs> metropolitan area. And um, <laughs> there was something, that, some sign we saw that said, like, Metropolitan District, and it was, like, written on the side of a water tower or something, and we were like, hmm, this is not, this is interesting, Metropolitan District. But uh, we went down there because I was preaching at his church, and uh, it was great, a lot of cowboy boots and cowboy hats and belt buckles, and not joking, it was great. Um, and uh, I, I preached, and then when I finished, he, he um, kind of introduced communion, and he said, kind of, um, he said, after I had preached, as he was setting it up, he said, this is, you know, this is why a lot of you are tired. And he was talking about my sermon, not, not, because, <laughs> not because of my sermon, but the, uh, maybe he was talking about that. Maybe there was a dual uh, meaning. But he was talking about what I had preached on, and he was saying, this is why a lot of you are tired. And that, you know, that kind of just made me think, um, as it relates to the sermon tonight that I, I think I think he is right that a lot of people are tired not necessarily physically tired although you may be uh, physically tired but there's just a tiredness a spiritual tiredness of maybe tired of reading your bible or tired of praying or tired of going to church or tired of singing songs or tired of trying to change or tired of trying to grow or tired of trying to just live like Jesus and live the Christian life just kind of tired there's just sometimes a spiritual tiredness that we can have and even if that's not what you feel right now even if you go no I'm not tired I'm totally energized I'm, I'm ready to go let's do this even if that's how you are I think that there is a drift that we can have at least in my life that I've lived as a Christian and I know from talking to many of you that there is a drift that we can have towards this feeling of just tiredness just a spiritual tiredness that we can have and tonight we're going to look at really this, this story, something that happens, and I think it really speaks to this. I think it can speak to some of the reasons of where this tiredness comes from and some of what it looks like to experience a refreshment. And so if, if you're somebody that feels at all tired, you're somebody that feels just kind of worn out with life or with spirituality or Christianity or faith or anything like that, I think that Jesus has a good word for us tonight, and we are uh, in the Gospel of John. We're going to be in chapter uh, 9 today, so if you have a Bible, you can open it up there. If you don't have a Bible, you can have uh, the one in front of you. You can keep that, um, and we're, we're looking at this story of um, Jesus encountering a blind man, so here's how it begins. As he passed by, that's Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am the world, I am the light of the world. And I just want you to think about this guy for a minute. Just think about, maybe you've known someone that is chronically ill from birth, or maybe you yourself have something like that, but imagine this guy's situation, that his whole life, from birth, he's been blind. Now today, that's a lot, I mean, that's still difficult today, but a lot better today than it would have been a couple thousand years ago, to be born blind. I mean, his only source of income wasn't government assistance or anything like that. It would have been begging people for money. But also, look at the disciples' assumption. Who sinned, this man or his parents? So it wasn't even, if you, if you see a blind man, I'm sure there's probably some compassion and some sympathy that, that you would have. But immediately, this man is judged in his blindness. And they see blindness in this man and think, either this guy was a messed up sinner even from birth, or... His parents did something bad that God cursed them. So I want you to see, even imagine this guy, that his whole life, he's had this physical disability. He's had the shame of the community of people thinking sinner or parents, they sin, something's wrong with him. That's his life. That's what his life has been. And Jesus corrects them and says, no, it's not because, it's not because he sinned. It's not because his parents sinned. God wanted to do something. God wanted to display something of his work. So this is, this is how the story begins. And then having said these things, Jesus, he spit on the ground and made, and made mud with the saliva. 
Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Now, why did Jesus do this? I don't know. Okay, so a lot of, I mean, people, there's a bunch of guesses, a bunch of scholars and commentators say it's all sorts of reasons, and I'm not going to list all the reasons because I don't know, and we really don't know, but that's what he did. Okay, next. (laughs) Sorry, I mean, it's just... You can look it up, you know? I mean, there's all sorts, oh, he did it because of this, and he did it because of, I don't know. He, he's, maybe he was just like, this is going to be funny, and spit in the mud, and I don't know. That's probably not it. That, that wasn't, no commentator said that, that's, but, you know, that's my opinion. I don't know. So then here's what happens. So, the, so he goes and tells him to, you know, wash in this pool, and the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? So the neighbors, the people, the community, all of a sudden see him. He's, I mean, imagine if you see that happen. Like, isn't this the guy that we saw in the corner, that horrible sinner that, I mean, isn't this him? Isn't this him? And some said it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him because they can't even comprehend that he could have been healed. So they're just, no, it just must be his lookalike. It must be his twin. It must be another guy that wears the same clothes. He kept saying, and I love this, he kept saying, because people don't believe him, I am the man. It's like, is that the guy? No, it's not. It's not. I'm him. No, it's not you. It's me. They didn't have driver's license back then. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes because he thought it was funny and said to me, I made that, I made that part up. Okay. <laughs> Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. Okay, so he gets healed. And all of a sudden people are like, this can't, I mean, there's already confusion. Like, man, did this really happen? People can't totally buy it, right? So this guy, it's the best day of his life, right? Best day of his life. He's experiencing healing. He he knows there's going to be some shame taken away. I'm going to actually be allowed to be a part of this community. I'm not going to have to beg. Maybe I'll actually be able to get a job. And I mean, he just, this is the best day of his life. But immediately it's starting to get a little sour because people are questioning and going, I don't even know if it's you. I don't even know if you are that guy that got healed. Who did this? How did it happen? Questions. Interrogation will follow. They brought him to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. So they're, they're, they're like, okay, something happened. How did you receive your sight? He said, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, talking about Jesus, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. Remember the Pharisees, if you've been with us as we've been looking at this, they don't like Jesus. But they see what he's doing over and over again. And they see this and they begin to go, man, how could, if this guy is this evil, wicked person, how could he do this? And some say, no, he's not from God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. And the reason they say that is because they had made up rules that weren't even what God had said about the Sabbath, which were that you're not allowed to heal a blind man. So they again said to the blind man, again, just try to imagine this. I know it's hard, but best day of your life, but all of a sudden you're finding yourself in this interrogation room. They say again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He He said, he's a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight. So they think he's lying. They think he's an imposter. Until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them. So they bring in his parents. He's all of a sudden in this courtroom. They bring in witnesses. We don't really think it's you. Let's call this man's parents in. Was he really born blind? Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son. And that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. And his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. They feared the religious leaders. So they're like, we don't know what happened. Ask him. Because they're afraid. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, that's the Messiah, the Savior, he was to be put out of the synagogue. And that doesn't just mean, hey, step outside. It means out of the community. You're gone. 
Big deal, big deal back then. So they're, they're, they're afraid of getting rejected in this way. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. This just kind of means um, tell the truth. Give glory to God. We know that this man, talking about Jesus, we know that this man is a sinner. So they're saying, tell the truth. This man's a sinner. He couldn't have done this. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. He's saying, I don't, look, I don't really know the guy. I don't really know what he's, all I know is I was blind. I've been blind a long time. Now I can see. That's what I know. And they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them. I love his sarcasm here. I've told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? <laughs> okay, that, that doesn't make these guys happy. And they reviled him saying, you are his disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. And the man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Son of Man is another name for the Messiah. And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it's he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. So you got this guy that his life has been a sad life, a horrible life, a shamed life. And then the best day of his life, Jesus heals him. And then on the best day of his life, all of a sudden, the community turns against him. He's interrogated. He's called a liar. His parents are called liars. He's, he's called a sinner. He's, he's, I mean, they just, they just go after him. And eventually, he's removed, kicked out from the community. And Jesus goes to him, and he worships Jesus, and he knows Jesus. And so, what's the point of this story? Jesus will tell us the point of the story. And, you know, Jesus, is, Jesus often does things and then explains a deeper meaning behind them. We looked at that when Jesus turned the water into wine. Jesus does something physically, but there's a spiritual meaning behind it. Jesus heals the blind guy. He heals him because he loves him and has compassion on him. But he also heals him because Jesus is always trying to do something physically to then represent some sort of spiritual teaching. And so Jesus gives us the point of this story. Here's the last part. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. So Jesus is giving a teaching on real blindness and real sight. He says that the reason he came is that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. What's he talking about? What's the point of this story? And what does it have to do with tiredness and rest? Well, first is this. What is real blindness? Because Jesus is saying there's some people that are blind and there's some people that see and blind people will see, and those that see will be blind. And he's mixing the physical metaphor with, or he's making a, a spiritual metaphor of the physical. So, so what is it? What is real blindness? What is Jesus saying that real blindness is? And here's what it is: it's thinking that you're fine. It's thinking that there's no problem. Real blindness is to look at yourself. It's to look at your life and go, "It's it's fine. There's no problem." Real blindness is when you don't see that there's actually a problem. See, Jesus is saying that those that are blind will see, but those that think they see are actually blind. And the Pharisees overhear this and know he's also talking about them because they're the ones that think, I'm fine. I'm okay. 
See, what is real blindness? Real blindness, real blindness in our lives is when we think there is no problem. I'm good. I'm okay. I'm fine. That's real blindness. That's what real blindness is, denying that there is a problem. Now, physically, we know this makes sense. We know this would be foolish physically. So um, if you were to go to the doctor and the doctor were to say, hey, you have a virus and this virus is eating away at your kidneys and your kidneys are going to fail and collapse and there's a virus, there's a problem, it's eating away at them and you were to say, no, don't tell me I have a problem, I'm fine. We know that would be foolish, right? I actually have some experience with this. I've done this. I've been foolish. I went to the doctor several years ago, not about my kidneys, but I was diagnosed with a gluten allergy. The doctor said, you've got a gluten allergy. Your blood shows. It's bad. And I said, I'm fine. I hadn't heard this sermon yet. I said, I'm fine. I said, it's okay. Spit in my eyes. It'll be good. And he did. And it was weird. Um, I sued him for malpractice. No, I'm just kidding. So um, I don't know what I'm talking about. But I, I did say, I'm fine. I f- I'm okay. I, I denied. I said, I mean, I did what I'm saying. Physically, we know it would be foolish, but I said, no, I'm okay. And it's because I felt fine because I wasn't really aware. And over time, it just got worse. And this is what he told me would happen. Doctors, they know, you know. Over time, it just got worse and worse and worse. It's actually not until we moved to, to Denver. I was doing a wedding up in Vail at the Four Seasons, beautiful place, nice, fancy wedding, small wedding, I don't know, maybe 30 people or something, just, you know, did this wedding, and after uh, the ceremony, um, sitting at the table, and I had had, I had had uh, some sushi earlier with uh, tempura batter on it, mm, it's good, and it just, because, I mean, I used to be able to handle that, but it just worse and worse and worse, my stomach is just killing me at the reception, I'm just like dying. And my wife says, well, you know, it's an open bar. Why don't you go to the bar and, you know, ask for a ginger ale or something? So I get a ginger ale and like a little short glass and, you know, makes it look nice for me. And it's, you know, I drink that, but it's not very much. So I go back and get another one, drink that. I go back and get another one and drink that. And then I started to realize I've had like six of these. People are like, what's going on with this pastor? He, you know, <laughs> this is, is this why he does weddings, the open bar, you know? So then we drove home and people are even more probably like, oh my gosh. But so it just got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And I had, I had been foolish. I had denied that there was a problem, right? And we know that that would be foolish. We know that that would be foolish if physically there is a problem and we say, no, there's not a problem. We know that's foolish. And yet spiritually, what Jesus is talking about, what's real blindness? Real blindness is when spiritually someone says, or God says, or we, or we experience, hey, there's a problem. And we say, no, there's not. There's not a problem. Don't tell me there's a problem. Everything is fine. Don't, don't judge me. Don't criticize me. Everything is fine. And yet if we did that physically, I mean, if I would have gone to the doctor and he said, you know, you've got a gluten allergy. Don't, don't judge my intestines. Who are, do, how dare you insult my intestines? But that spiritually, spiritually, don't we do that? Don't we, don't we have blindness spiritually? And Jesus says, real blindness, real blindness is when we have a problem, but we, we deny it. We deny it. Now, let me, let me talk about this. What does this look like? How is it that we live with closed eyes? Because maybe you think, oh, I don't do that. And maybe, maybe that's blindness. How do we live with closed eyes? If, if blindness that Jesus is talking about, if real blindness is when there's something wrong, but we say, no, I'm okay, I'm fine. What does that look like? How is it that we live with closed eyes? And I'm going to give you six different ways that we kind of downplay our sin. And these are from um, a pastor in our network of churches, um, from some of his curriculum. And uh, here, here's six different ways. One is this, defending. And, and you know, find, not all these are going to resonate with you, but maybe one or two will. And you can ask yourself, do I live with blindness? Do I live closing my eyes to the problems that are there? Defending is one way. I find it difficult to receive feedback about weaknesses or sin. 
when confronted, my tendency is to explain things away, talk about my successes, or to justify my decisions. As a result, I rarely have conversations about difficult things in my life. So do you defend if somebody, if somebody needs to give you some feedback about some weakness or sin in your life, is your response usually to go, no, or to say, okay, maybe, but look at all this. Look at these successes. Look what I've done here. And so it makes it so there's not a lot of conversations that you like to have about difficult things. Pretending. I strive to keep up appearances, maintain a respectable image. My behavior to some degree is driven by what I think others think of me. I also do not like to think reflectively about my life. As a result, not very many people know the real me. I may not even know the real me. Do you try to really keep up? Look, everything is fine. I'm good. I'm okay. And what you do is less out of conviction and more about what other people would think of you. And you don't like to actually reflect on your life. Don't like to take the time. I know some people don't even like to read the Bible because they don't even want to, they don't even want to think about anything that's wrong. Hiding. I, I tend to conceal as much as I can about my life, especially the bad stuff. This is different than pretending, the previous one, and that pretending is about impressing people. Hiding is more about shame. I don't think people will accept the real me. So pretending is, hey, look, I'm great. Look, I'm awesome. Trying to project an image to others and even to yourself. Hiding is more, man, I don't think. I think I'm bad. I think I'm messed up. But I don't want anyone to see that. I don't want anyone to know the bad stuff. What's the bad stuff for you? Is there bad stuff you don't want people to know about? You don't want people to see? These are ways that we're blind. These are ways that we live with closed eyes. We don't want to see exaggerating, I tend to think and talk more highly of myself than I ought to. I make things good and bad out to be much bigger than they are, usually to get attention. As a result, things often get more attention than they deserve and have a way of making me stressed or anxious. Do you live with stress and anxiety? This isn't the only reason, but this may be a reason that everything is magnified to you. Everything is everything. You use words like everyone and everybody and anything and everything. Every, nothing goes right. Everything is bad. Everyone doesn't like me. Everybody thinks this. Everybody thinks that. Good and bad. I'm blaming. I'm quick to blame others for sin or circumstances. I have a difficult time owning my contributions to sin or conflict. There's an element of pride that assumes it's not my fault and or an element of fear of rejection if it is my fault. When you look at your conflicts that you've had recently, how much do you go, oh yeah, it was them. They did it. Minimizing. I tend to downplay sin or circumstances in my life as if they are normal or not that bad. As a result, things often don't get the attention they deserve and have a way of mounting up to the point of being overwhelming. So do you get to a point in your life where all of a sudden it seems like something exploded? A lot of times people have this. They go, man, where did this come from? It just, it just I, I, I never have been like that. I don't know where that came from. I don't know why I said that. I don't know why I did that. As if one moment you walked off the edge, but it comes from a repeated pattern of going, okay, this is not that big of a deal. And then if this is not that big of a deal, this is not that big of a deal. And it's okay. And it's not bad. But things don't get the attention they deserve. So, I mean, that's what happened to me physically with gluten. It's the point of being overwhelming. So how do we close our eyes? Jesus says that blindness, real blindness, real blindness is thinking that you see clearly. Real blindness is thinking when you look at yourself I see everything clearly, and it's good. Real blindness is thinking there's not a problem. When there is, real blindness is living to go, I don't want to look at that, I don't want to look at that, I don't want to look at that. And we use some of these different ways. Do you see yourself in any of these ways? Let me just say this. If you don't, maybe that's the seventh way of even when a list of ways that we minimize, go, oh, I'm not in there, I'm fine. I'm fine. Really? Blindness is thinking that you see when you don't. Blindness is thinking you're fine when you're not. 
And so what is real sight then? If that's what blindness is, a blindness is thinking we've got a problem and blindness is not seeing we have a problem. Rather, blindness is looking at our lives and thinking it's all good. It's fine. It's not a big deal. What is real sight? Real sight is... Real sight is to actually see that we are blind. Real sight is to know that we are blind. Jesus says real blindness is you think you see and you don't. Real sight is to know that you are blind. To know that you are weak. To know that you have sin. To know that you have problems. To be aware of them. To know it. That's real sight. Real sight is to say, I mean, for the blind man, real, real sight is going, I'm blind. And real blindness is saying, I see. Real sight is to look at your life and go, I know I'm blind. I know I'm weak. I know I've got problems. I know. I know it's there. I know there's things that, that I don't even see that are there. Real sight is to know our weakness to know that we are weak. Let me ask you this. Do, do you know? Do you know right now in your life where God is growing you and working on your heart? Do you know the areas that God is saying, this is a problem? Or would you go, man, I, I don't, I'd have to think about that. I have no idea. Everybody in this room, myself included, we, and, and everybody in the world, we would say, um, or at least in America, we would say, nobody's perfect, right? That's something that we say. Nobody's perfect. And that's true. But, but is there ever a follow-up question that says, where are you not perfect? Where are you weak and blind? Where are you struggling? Where is your heart wandering from God? Do you know that? Sometimes we don't even know that. Sometimes that question goes, I don't even know. I think everything is fine. Or we think about activity. So if, if you ever are asked the question, hey, where is it that God's trying to grow you? Maybe you go to, well, I need to read my Bible more, go to church more, or do more of this. And activity, but what about the heart? What about the stuff in the heart that God would say, hey, I'm trying to work on this here. Do you know what that is? See, real sight is to be aware, to know, here's where I am weak. That's real sight. Real sight is to be able to see your weakness, to be able to see your problems, to be able to see the things in you. That's real sight. Real sight is to go, I'm blind. I know it. That's what Jesus says that real sight is. And and this is really uncommon. It's very uncommon to own this. It's very uncommon to say, I'm blind. I mean, I, I, I kind of mentioned it, you know, jokingly earlier, and I, I know there's good reasons that people say this, okay? I'm not advocating for uh, judgmentalism, but, you know, just the whole idea of don't judge me is to say, don't ever tell me there's a problem with me. And sometimes we say it jokingly. I think Jimmy Fallon just did like a hashtag series on don't judge me, and there was funny things on there. So sometimes it's just said in, in humor, but the whole idea of don't judge me is don't Don't say there's any problems with me. It's very uncommon to own weakness, to own problems. There was um, an incident a few months ago. My friend, uh, Taylor Swift, uh, if you guys know her, um, she, um, me and T, uh, T Sweezy, we're we're tight. So she, um, I don't really know her, but... um, but uh, she, there was, I don't remember the whole thing, but there was something on Twitter. She said something bad, and then someone else was like, no, that's bad, Taylor. And she was like, no, it's not bad. And there was like this Twitter thing. But then the next day, she tweeted and said, I was wrong. Man, no, first of all, no celebrity does that. No celebrity does that. But man, how, I mean, just think about, I mean, when have you watched a political debate? And they're arguing, right? And, they've all, and then one guy goes, oh man, you're actually right. I was wrong. I'm changing my position on that. Has that ever happened? No. I wonder if anyone even thinks they're wrong. But even if they did, it's hard. Isn't it hard to, to actually embrace being able to say, yeah, I'm weak there. I'm wrong. Oh, thank you. I'm wrong there. Physically, that's not hard. 
I mean, a little bit maybe. But physically, you go into the doctor and the doctor says, you have a problem here. And we say, thanks, doc. But spiritually, isn't it hard to embrace going, I'm wrong. I was wrong. Real sight, real sight is to say, I'm wrong. I see it. I see there's a problem. I see it's not good. I remember talking to a guy once that said, me and a few other uh, guys were talking to him, and he, he had said, man, I've got a pride problem. It's crazy. It's messing up my marriage. It's messing up, um, it's messing up uh, my relationships. It's just messing stuff up. I am a proud man. And then we're talking to him more, and we said, hey, you know, we see this instance over here, and it seems like pride is really affecting the way you treat uh, these people. He's like, no, it's not. What are you talking about? Like, hey, do you see right now that you're being proud? No, I'm not proud about that. It's like, man, even you are so proud that you're willing to say you're proud, but if someone says you're proud here, you say, no, I'm not proud. It's amazing how much we don't want to embrace saying there's a problem. Isn't it amazing how, how, res- how resilient we are? How resilient we are to there being any problems? Real sight is to see. Real sight is to see that there is a problem. So how do we live with open eyes? How do we live with open eyes? How is it that we go about living our life then to actually be able to see? To actually be able to see. And first is this, it's not just to be able to embrace and see and know that there's a problem. It is that. We need to be able to do that. We need to be able to go, man, there is a problem. But, To live with open eyes isn't just to be able to confess that there is a problem. To live with open eyes is to also know how to deal with it. So I think sometimes we're tired. I think sometimes the reason that we're tired is because we've been denying that there is any issues in those different ways we listed. That we're just pushing them aside and saying there's nothing there, there's nothing there. But it gets tiring to do that. It gets tiring to to cover your tracks. It gets tiring to hide. It gets tiring to blame. It gets tiring to always be defending yourself. It gets tiring to always be pushing things down. That gets tiring. Sometimes the reason that we are tired is we're trying so hard to resist there being any problem. It's as if there's a, a water geyser, waterfall geyser thing pushing up and we're trying to push it down. And that just gets tiring. Sometimes I think we're tired because of that. And sometimes I think we're tired because maybe we see there's a problem. Maybe we see there's a problem, but the way that we deal with it is by trying to deal with it ourselves. See, what it means to live with open eyes is to go beyond just saying, I see, I see that I'm blind. But it's to say, I see that I'm so blind. I see that I'm so blind that I need somebody else to heal me. See, the way to live with open eyes is to be able to embrace there's a problem, but it's also to know that you can't fix it. If the blind man physically would have said, yeah, I know I'm blind, but I'll, I'll figure it out, we would have gone, that's, that's a little foolish. But spiritually, part of why we're tired may be because we're denying and pushing things down and that gets tiring but part of it is because when we see what's there the solution is i'll deal with it i'll try better i'll try harder i will i'll I'll, I'll think positive thoughts i'll get myself out of the situations in which that is caused i'll surround myself with things that help alleviate this i'll fix it i'll figure it out And all sorts of ways that we can do that. But to live with open eyes is to know, I can't. I'm so blind, I can't open my eyes. I need someone that can heal me. I need someone that can open my eyes. You see, the way that that we live with open eyes is to come to Him. It will get tiring. If you're tired, it, it will get tiring to deal with it on yourself, on your own. If you see 
you see your problems and the way to handle it is you need more of you. I know sometimes that's what I think. Like, man, I've got this problem. What I need is more of me. I need a better me. I need a me with more time. I need a me with more love. I need a me with more wisdom. I just need more me. If the way that we deal with our problem that we see is I just need to figure it out. We're not living with open eyes because to live with open eyes to see I'm blind and I need someone to heal my blindness. I've got a problem and I need someone that doesn't have a problem to help me. I've got sin and I need someone that doesn't have sin to save me. You know what this looks like? It looks like coming to Jesus with, and this is what he is inviting people to do in this text, it's coming to Jesus with our weakness. It's coming to Jesus with our weakness, not when I get it figured out, I'll come to you. When I give it my shot to try to fix it, I'll come to you. It's to come to him in weakness, in blindness. That's, I mean, that's the amazing thing that Jesus is saying is, man, if you think you see, you're blind. But if you know you're blind, you actually are on the path to seeing and on the path to then saying, someone's got to open my eyes. I need someone to help me. Practically, what this means is this. I've got, I got one more thing on this, but, but let me just give you something practical here, a couple things. Do you know? Do you know the area in your life that is weakness? That's the first part. That's the first part of living with open eyes. Do you know? Do you know those areas where God is saying, I want to grow you here in your heart? If not, the first step is to go, God, I am blind. I do not see. Help me. Do you know? And are you spending time with God, bringing that to him, saying, here's my weakness, help me. Here's my weakness, I need you. And, and whenever that moment happens, I don't know, you know, it's hard to give um, examples for you, but try to think in your mind, whenever that moment of weakness or sin happens, whenever that moment happens, how do you deal with it in the moment? Because I guarantee you that God, because he loves you, is saying, let me help you. And do you resist? And do you say, I'll figure it out. I've got it. And then what about this? What happens after? When that moment of weakness comes and you totally blow it, you lose your temper, you look at something you shouldn't look at, you are dishonest, whatever it might be, you, you know that you were um, a coward when you should have been bold. You know you were too much controlled by what other people thought of you. When that moment happens and you blow it and, and God's trying to help you in that moment and he's trying to draw you towards him and to come to him in your weakness and you blow it, you don't do it, it goes bad. What happens next? Whether that's the hour after when you're clear-headed or two hours later or the next day, what happens next? Is it, okay, i got a new day, here we go. Because that's, that's you trying to get out of it by yourself. That's you trying to deal with your blindness by yourself. Or do you, at the end of that, go, dang it, God, I'm weak. God, I'm weak. Here's my sin, I, I'm, I confess it. God, I'm weak, I need you. See, what it means to live with open eyes is to know that we're blind. It's to know that we have a problem. It's to know it. It's to see it. It's to embrace it. It's not to be afraid of it. But it's also then to come to him with the weakness. It's to come to him with our weakness. Before, during, after, whenever. But to come to him and go, man, I'm weak, God. I need you. Not, okay, I just need more of me. I'll figure it out. Do you come to him with your weakness? And finally, what effect would this have? I mean, what effect would it have if, if we were the kind of people that said, man, I, I know I got a problem. I know I'm blind. And with my blindness, with my weakness, I come to him. Look, look what happened physically with this guy. You see what happened with him? 
See, sometimes people think this. Sometimes people go, man, if I, I don't want to, I don't want to think like this. I don't want to look at all my problems and go, man, I've got problems and just mope around going, I'm blind. I've got problems. I'm so bad. I'm not going to blame anyone. It's me. I'm not going to minimize it. It's big. It's me. It's, oh, that, and that's, that, that's not at all what this is saying. The goal isn't to be a moper. The goal isn't to mope around all sad and wallowing in your sin and problems and blindness. That's not, that's not at all what it is. Because that's still to say, I've got a problem and I can't deal with it. And so I'm tired because I keep trying to deal with it. What happened with this guy? What happened with him physically is what can happen with us spiritually, the effect that this can have. See, this guy had a problem. He knew he was blind. Jesus heals him. And what happens? His life's changed. I mean, you see him go from a beggar on the corner to this guy with boldness. I mean, his parents were afraid of being rejected, of being removed. What is, I mean, he's, he's like, man, you know what? I mean, he's, he's bold. He's talking about Jesus. He's funny and sarcastic. He's like, oh, you want to be his disciples too? Bing. You know, I mean, he's just like, he's funny. He's confident. He's sexy. Swipe right. I mean, this guy is like, he's got it. This blind guy, that's Tinder if you're like, what is he talking about? Okay, so this guy. I had to look up if it was swipe left or swipe right, just so you know. So I'm, I, haven't, I haven't dated for a while. So. Um, but his life has changed. His life has changed. It's, it's completely changed. And spiritually, what happens if you go, man, I've got a problem. I've got a problem. I see it. I can own it. I can embrace it. It doesn't have to lead to moping because you can experience healing if you're not trying to deal with it yourself. But you say, Jesus, heal me. I need you. I'm tired of trying to do it myself. It's exhausting trying to do it myself. Why why does it have that effect? Because the deeper that you see that you have a problem, the more that you see who he is that can fix it. You know, even this blind guy, he goes from, they say, you know, who who is the guy that did this? He says, Jesus. And then later they go, who do you think he is? And he's like, uh, a prophet. He's moving. And then later he's the Messiah and he falls down and worships him. See, there's this movement that happens in him, this snowball effect of the more that you see, man, there is a problem that I have. And the, the deeper that you see, there's a problem I have. But then that's brought to him. The more you begin to see who he is. Listen, if you are weak, and you know you're weak, but you come to him, you experience more of his strength. If you know that you're foolish and you come to him, you experience more of his wisdom. If you know you're a sinner that is messed up and you come to him, you experience more of his grace. But if you come to him and go, I'm strong, you're like, how much of his strength do you know? Not much, because you think you're strong. If you come to him and go, God, hey, I'm, I'm, I got this pretty much figured out. I'm pretty smart, but maybe I need a little piece of advice. They don't think he's super wise. If you go, man, God, you know, nobody's perfect. So I got a little bit of problems. I got, you know, maybe this one tiny thing I'm trying to work on. Oh, thanks for your grace. But if you go, man, no, I'm not trying to push anything away. I know that I am blind. I know I don't even see the worst of it. Then you experience how gracious he is. Physically, what happened with that blind man is he had this growing knowledge of who God is. Because he knew who he was. Who could heal the eyes of a blind man? That snowballed in him to be on his feet worshiping Jesus. The more you see who you are, the more you see your neediness, your weakness, your sinfulness, your problems, the more you see that, and don't try to deal with it yourself, the more you see that, the more clearly you see him. Look, one of my favorite illustrations for this is a trampoline. I thought about bringing a big one out here and jumping on it, but I didn't do that. So you'll have to come to Easter in the bouncy house. And think of this. You see what happens when you get on a trampoline? If you do a little hop, you bounce up a little, right? But the deeper that you go down, the more that you bounce up. And some people go, man, I don't want to look at my problems. I don't want to look at my problems because I don't want to, I don't want to be all the way down here. I don't want to feel like I'm all the way down here and I'm just, oh, I'm just sunken down. 
But the more that you're down, then, you know, it's hard, you know, you know a friend bounces you on that. So Jesus is the bouncer, okay? So if you, the, the more down you go, the more up you experience, man. I mean, if you think you're a little sinner, if you think you're a, just a little bit of a sinner, then you think Jesus is a little bit of a gracious guy. But if you're able to go, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm done downplaying it. I'm done minimizing and blaming and I'm done hiding and I'm done pretending. I'm just done with it. And you go, yeah, I've got, God, I am so blind. The deeper that you go, the more you see how gracious he would be to forgive you. The more in your life that you go, I am weak. I am incompetent. I am insufficient. I do, do, you know, Paul talks about this in one of his letters. He says that God's power is made perfect in our weakness. Because the more that you're able to say, I am weak, I am needy, the more you experience his strength. This is how you get to know God. This is what takes you out of being tired of trying to figure it out yourself. The effect it has on us is to see him more clearly. If you, look, if you know, if you know that tons is wrong with you. If you know that, if you know that, man, I got problems. There's so much stuff in my heart. Pride, impatience, general jerkiness, whatever. There's so much wrong in my heart. If you know that, you embrace that. But if you also know God doesn't run away from you, but towards you, that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you know what I do with blind people? Spiritually blind people? People that know how messed up they are? I move towards them. Jesus moves towards weakness. We are tired because we are trying so hard to be strong. You know how freeing it is? You know how liberating it is to go, I'm weak. I'm messed up. That's freeing. If you know someone that's strong and not messed up, you know how freeing it is? If you know, look, all throughout the Bible, God runs towards the weak. If you know in your heart, I've got problems, Jesus runs towards problems. If you know in your heart, I am weak, Jesus runs towards weakness. If you know in your heart, I'm tired, Jesus runs towards the tired. If you know I'm needy, Jesus runs towards the needy. That's his response. We don't do that, right? We go towards strength. We go, who's the strong person? Who's the attractive person? Who's the wise person? Who's the courageous person? Jesus goes, who's the coward? Who's the fool? Who's the ugly? Who's the sinner? That's who I'm moving towards. And if you know that, then your weakness is a strength. I mean, what would happen? You know how power, I mean, just... That's a weird way to think about it, but you know how powerful of a life and a person that is that can go, man, I am weak, but that actually becomes your strength because you're experiencing so much more of, I might be weak, but man, I know this guy. I might be messed up and a sinner, but I, I, man, I experience so much grace because I'm okay with saying that. Man, that's a powerful thing. Jesus runs towards weak, needy, blind people. Even what he does to this guy. You know, the community rejects him. And that's what we're afraid of often. If I do that, if I own that, if I, I'll be rejected, maybe by God, maybe by others. This guy is rejected. But it's in his rejection that then he experienced Jesus going after him. That's what happens in the story. It says he, he's kicked out of the synagogue and then Jesus goes and finds him. In that moment of rejection is when you experience that acceptance. Because Jesus moves towards the weak. He moves towards the needy. If you're tired, if you're tired, it may be because it's tiring trying to just push all that stuff down and pretend it's not there. But if you're tired, it may also be because you see it and are saying, I'll deal with it. In whatever way we say that, instead of saying, I can't deal with it. I am weak. I need your strength. I am weak. I need your forgiveness. I am weak. I need your wisdom. I am messed up. Jesus, I need you. 
That is what begins to take us out of tiredness. If we know that our relationship with him and with others does not have to be dependent on how strong we are. Jesus can do this with us. Jesus can move towards weakness. He can move towards neediness because he took that himself. You know, Jesus can move towards people that are spiritually blind because he became blind for us on the cross. The Bible says that he became sin. He can move towards those that are rejected and accept them because he himself was rejected. Jesus can move towards people that are shamed because he says, I'll take the shame. He can move towards people that are saying, I'm filled with problems. And he says, I can move towards people with problems because I've dealt with them. I've taken them on myself on the cross. See, when we take communion, that's what we remember, that Jesus runs towards weak people because he himself became weak as our substitute. Jesus on the cross died in our place for our sin to bring us life. That's what we remember, his body broken and his blood shed. Jesus, look, if you are tired, Jesus runs towards you. All you have to do is say, I want that. I need you. You don't have to be strong. You can be weak. You don't have to be wise. You can be a fool. You don't have to be accepted. You can be rejected. You don't have to have it together. You can be messed up. You don't have to see. You can be blind. That's who Jesus runs towards. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. I am so thankful that that's how Jesus is because it's not me. And Jesus runs to, if you feel weak, say, Jesus, run towards me. And he does. So let's take communion, remembering that good news. And then let's sing. Father, thank you that you run towards the weak. Thank you that you Uh, Give yourself to us. Thank you that um, we don't have to hide our weakness. We don't have to hide our problems, our foolishness, our brokenness. God, I just thank you we don't have to hide that because that's what actually qualifies us for relationship with you. Because you're someone that wants to be around weak people. You're someone that wants to be around blind people. Thank you for that good news. That the basis of how we relate to you isn't strength, but weakness. God, help us to embrace our weakness. Help us to be in touch with our incapacity and our insufficiency. Not so we mope, but so we jump higher knowing how amazing you are then. That you would come towards us. How strong you are, how wise you are, how beautiful you are, how gracious you are. God, let no one leave here moping, but knowing how amazing you are and what you give to us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.